Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. How's everybody doing today? It's good to be back with you again one more time. This will be my last week and uh, I guess I get back to my own church. They're probably like, man, where is Pastor Mark playing a hooky, this playing hooky again? And I uh, got my wife to, to uh, be in collaboration with me, with me this week. So uh, my wife, Marla. All right, let's see if I can get this thing working right here. There it goes. Okay. Well, good to be with you again. And we're going to continue where we were last week talking about forgiveness. But uh, this week we're going to talk about forgiveness as it relates to uh, us forgiving ourselves. Many times it's easy to talk about, well, it's not easy, I shouldn't say that, but talking about forgiving others is a little bit easier and probably more uh, prominent and we're more aware of that. You know, we're used to saying, well, this person wronged me and I know Jesus wants me to forgive them and so forth. But seldom do we talk about our need to forgive ourselves. And sometimes in some ways that doesn't even really make sense. But as we talk about today, hopefully it will make sense. And uh, by the grace of God, many of us here today will be able to find a new sense of freedom and blessing and joy and peace in our life that comes from forgiving ourselves. I'm going to tell you a little story here. There was a, uh, uh, a man who lived in the uh, Midwest. He was a, a wonderful farmer. And uh, was very, very, uh, was just a great farmer, made lots of money farming, had a couple of sons. So he had an older son, he had a younger son. His older son was a pretty cool dude. Uh, Whatever his father asked him to do, he kind of did it. Reliable, trustworthy, and so forth. The younger son was, you know, he did what he's supposed to do every now and then, but he had a little little streak in him. And so as... uh, the boys grew up, you know, they learned their responsibilities. They learned how to drive the tractor. They learned how to water properly. They learned how to make the right furrows in the ground, and how to plant the seeds at the right time and so forth. But uh, the younger son was getting more and more kind of a, a problem in his father's side because he, he just was kind of becoming uncontrollable. So uh, what he would do is he would hang out in his room at night and look on the Internet and just try to figure out ways how he could get out of, you know, get out of uh, uh, that farming situation and go do what he really wanted to do. So uh, one night while he was searching the web, he found this place called Vegas. And they had a little line there that says, what uh, happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So he's like, man, if I want to get away from my father, what I can do is I can go to this place called Vegas. I can do what I want to do there. My father will never find out about it. My brother will never find out about it. My mom will never hear about it because whatever I want to do, I can just do all wild stuff I want to do and it'll never get back to them. So he decides to go there. He's got a problem. He has no money of his own. You know, he has a few little pennies he saved up, but not enough money to, to jump ship and then go live someplace. And he was too proud to hitchhike. So he goes to his dad and says, Pops, um, I know you've got an inheritance saved up for me and my brother. Uh, let me get my piece of the rock right now. And the dad did something, he did something that I would never do. He gave, it, he gave him his inheritance right away. 
I'm like, no, you gonna eat it. my son's like, you wait till I get in the ground, then you can get your inheritance. But the father gave it to him, and so here it is, this young man, he leaves, he leaves his house, leaves his mom, leaves his dad, leaves the farm and country, uh, gets on a plane, and he goes to Vegas. Gets to the airport, he's got a pocket full of money. I mean, he's loaded. He's got a pocket full of money. So he gets an Uber, and he drives down to this hotel called the Bellagio. So he says, man, this is a cool hotel. They got the water fountains. They've got all this kind of stuff. It's just going on here. So he goes up to the guy. He goes up to the, uh, to the uh, clerk. He says, you know, I'd like to get a room. Uh, not the most expensive, but something close. And the guy looks at him. He says, well, are you sure you can afford something like this? And the guy's like, don't worry about it. Money's no problem. So he gets this nice plush room. And he's, uh, he's looking out the window. He's like, man, this is so good. All the lights and the fountains and all the, the buzz of the city. So he says, I, I got to get a new wardrobe. So he calls Uber again and he drives to the store down the street. And he says, man, these are some cool jeans. So he buys these designer skinny jeans. Not just, you know, 50 bucks a pair, but $250 a pair. And he gets these nice shoes. And he's got these clean shirts. And I mean, the guy is just, he's, he's styling. I mean, he's just... He's like, we, we, like the kids say, he's just, he's blinging. So he's got this hotel. He's got new skinny jeans. He's, uh, he, he, he's, he's the man. He's got a pocket full of money. He's like, man, life is good. Then he goes, he learns how to start gambling, starts gambling. He's shooting craps. He's playing poker. He's doing blackjacks. He's doing the, 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 the roulette table and all this kind of stuff. And he's winning. And before you know it, he's got all these friends, right? All these friends. And he's got people hanging around him. And, and, and for a couple months, I mean, things are going good. It's like, man, this is party time in Vegas. My, my big brother doesn't know what he's missing out on. But then something happens. While his fun is expanding, his pocketbook starts shrinking. And after a while, he becomes so broke, he can't even pay attention. His money's gone. You got that? His money's gone. <laughs> and all of a sudden, his friends start to abandon him one by one. Okay, hey, no more free drinks. Okay, I can't be with this guy. Oh, no more party over here. Nope, can't be with this guy. And he finds himself all by himself. He gets an eviction notice from the Bellagio. They kick him out on the street. He has nowhere to go. He came and find a friend's house to couch surf on. Nobody wants him. So after a couple weeks go by, he doesn't have any money to buy food. He's hungry. Things are getting hard. So he's walking down the main strip. And he's, he walks by this window. He looks at himself and he sees this figure he doesn't even recognize. It's him. He's dirty, he's hungry, he's unshaven, and he gets his, he looks at himself, he says, this isn't good. He says, man, even the guys that work for my dad at home live way better than this. So he has a moment of sobriety, and he says to himself, I'm going to go back home. Tell my dad, hey, look, I don't want to be, don't even call me a son anymore because the way that I've lived, the way that I live, have lived has dishonored you. It's dishonored our family. It's dishonored God. And I know I'm not worth being called a son anymore. So he gets this speech in his head. 
he hitchhikes back home. As he begins to make his way back to the farm, his dad's out there on the tractor. He sees his son coming down the road, turns the tractor off, starts to run toward his son. His son is just covered with shame and guilt. He needs his dad, but he doesn't want to see him because of what he's done, how he's lived his life. He doesn't even want to see him, but he knows that he needs him. And so when the father comes to him, he begins to make his speech. Dad, I failed miserably. I'm not coming home even to be a son. I don't even want my old room. Just give me something so I can live and just uh, be able to get by till I get on my feet again. He starts this speech, and then the father says, before he can get the word, all the words out of his mouth, the father says, let's have a feast. Bring out the barbecue ribs. Bring out the smoked salmon. Get the potato. Hallelujah, somebody. <laughs> get the potato salad, the fruit salad. Pumpkin pies, coconut cakes, German chocolate cakes. He's like, let's have a feast. Oh, by the way, go get him some jeans that fit. <laughs> if my kids were here, they were like, they'd be like, really, Dad? Put a ring on his finger. He belongs to this family. He was dead. My son was dead, but now he's home. He's alive again. Man, it's time for a celebration. Now, you know what that story is. That's Luke 15, kind of, you know, urbanized. The story of the prodigal son. But he comes back home, and the father celebrates his return. Now, this is one that we may not think about. When we look at that story, it is so obvious, so blatantly obvious that the father has forgiven his son for his behavior, his mistakes, his wasting and throwing away his inheritance. The, father's, the father is joyful and the father is relieved that his son who was dead is now alive. And the father's heart for that boy was for him to experience restoration, peace, and joy. Now think about this. Although the text, the the, the scripture doesn't say this or give any indication one way or the other, but it is something to think about. Knowing that the father has forgiven that son makes you wonder if there, were any, if there were ever any days when that son would be sitting in the house with no one there and he'd start to remember what he did, how he wasted the money, how he lived his life in Vegas. And he's looking at all that his father has given to him. Forgiveness, love, unconditional love reconciliation and you wonder if he ever thinks how could I have ever done that how could I have ever treated my father like that how could I have ever been such a rotten terrible son 
And maybe he's sitting there with that condemnation, the guilt, that terrible, diabolical wrestling match that we are so familiar with ourselves called condemnation. The truth of the matter is, from the father's perspective, case closed. It's done. He's forgiven. He don't care about Vegas. Vegas isn't on the father's mind. The father rejoices because the son who was dead is now alive again. But the son, perhaps, has to wrestle with his own failure. See, many times, God, well, God always, God always forgives us when we ask him. But many times, you and I wrestle with forgiving ourselves. Not a matter of will God forgive me or has God forgiven me, because if you ask God to forgive you, if I ask God to forgive me, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. How is he just? He's just by providing his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and to shed his blood as an atonement for all of our sins. God in his righteousness has provided that for us. So he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all of our sin. But as human beings, our sinful, Adamic nature, sometimes we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. I was in Uganda a few years back and we were staying in a uh, bread and bre- uh, bread, tongue twister, bed and breakfast spot. And so there were a couple people from our team there. There was a couple people from other places, but there was a man that was there from South Africa. And so one night we were sitting around, we were talking and we were, we, everybody was kind of sharing their story of faith and how they came to faith in Christ and what they were doing and so forth. And so this man's story from South Africa was a little unusual. He says, well, I'm just kind of here. And he, he really wouldn't give us all the complete details, but you could tell he was wrestling with some, some serious stuff. And you could tell he hadn't experienced forgiveness. Uh, he, he hadn't forgiven himself. He said he experienced God's forgiveness, but he could tell he was wrestling for forgiving himself. He said, well, you know, uh, when, a, when apartheid was in existence, I did a lot of things that weren't right. And so because of that, what I do is I try to come to, I go to poorer nations and I will just try to mingle with the people, talk with them, see who I can help and so forth. And so it wasn't like he was doing this joyful mission. Like, you know, I'm serving the Lord and God's using my life to touch people and I have the opportunity to help those who are disenfranchised. It wasn't that. It was this, woe is me servitude. I'm, 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 I'm doing penance and I'm working to try to get myself right and to justify myself and to help myself and, and to pay for all the terrible things I've done. And so we asked him, so, I, so we said, this is what you do all the time? He says, yes, I just go from place to place and I just ride the bus or I ride in a car or I ride a train all day long and just try to talk to people. And he was the most miserable guy you ever seen. I was like, man, if you, I, when I was a kid, I used to watch the Flintstones. Uh, I, I like the Flintstones. And then he had another one called Pebbles and ba- the second generation. 
with pebbles and bam, bam. And they had this guy named Schleprock, bad news Schleprock. And the thing about Schleprock was wherever Schleprock would come in, he'd have a cloud over his head, over his head. And he'd, he'd go like, a, hi, gang. And they're like, oh, no, here comes Schleprock. And he'd go, woozy, woozy me, you know, and he'd, he'd go into the, in, into the juke joint, you know, and Pebbles and Bam Bam, those guys are all doing the bedrock shuffle, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he'd come in and there's like a, a rain cloud, a rain, rain cloud just pouring down rain over him. His, he had his own personal thunder and lightning storm, you know. And so this guy, this guy, he's talking about what he does. I'm like, man, this guy's like bad luck schlep rock. I'm like, if he's, if he's got a message of God's love, just keep him over there, man. That kind of love I don't, I don't need. But the guy was struggling because he could not forgive himself for what he had done. Now, he didn't tell us what he had did. But I imagine he's a lot like you and I. We've all done things that we are ashamed of. We've all done some things perhaps that we have given ourselves a pass on, or, or maybe we've done some things that we haven't really forgiven our own selves from the heart. Why is it hard for us to forgive ourselves? Let me give you a couple reasons why. Sometimes it's hard to forgive ourselves because we don't feel we need to forgive ourselves. What do I need to forgive myself for? You know, there's, there's, there's no need for that. Well, sometimes there is a need for it. Sometimes there's a great need for it. Like in the case of this man, sometimes we don't, forgive ourselves because we don't forgive ourselves because we make ourselves suffer more. And so we can say, if I suffer more, then maybe I can forgive myself. But I have not paid enough for my sin that I've committed. I haven't done enough. I haven't suffered enough to eradicate the consequences of my behavior that may have affected me or affected somebody else. I need to suffer more. Sometimes it's out of sight, out of mind. I don't forgive because if I, if I, if I start thinking about this, woo, it's too heavy. It's too hard. I don't have to deal with it. But if I start thinking about it, whew, I'm opening up a can of worms. It's really, really painful. So I don't even want to, I don't even want to touch it. But, you know, you could have, you could have a cancer in your body or some type of disease in your body. And if you ignore it, it's not going to go away. It's not going to be it's not going to be effectively dealt with unless it's acknowledged and treated. Sometimes it's hard to forgive because we say, you know, it happened so long ago that I don't need to forgive myself. Remember King David? Uh, he had com- he had committed a couple crimes and sins against God that was pretty bad, pretty bad. How bad was it? Pretty bad. (laughs) One of his most loyal soldiers is out to war. He makes a move on his wife, impregnates her. If that's not enough, he has his best friend, one of his best friends, uh, take the guy's wife, I'm sorry, take the guy whose wife he impregnated put him on the battle, uh, the front of the battle line and had him murdered. Couple years go by, couple years go by and David is still holding this thing in his heart and the only reason why he, the only reason why he uh, uh, acknowledges sin was because God nailed him. He said the prophet Nathan and nailed him and said, look, you did this 
And David goes, wow. Then we have the whole Psalms 51 of David's confession and so forth. But then David was talking about the guilt that's before him, the, the guilt that was on him. David, would eventually, God forgave him. But man, if he was going to live, he's going to have to learn how to, how to forgive himself and find the peace that God could, only God could give him. And so even though some things happened a long time ago, we still have to deal with them. My mother, um, my mother had a very, very rough upbringing. She was basically, my mother was basically like Cinderella with no exaggeration. She wouldn't have food to eat. Sometimes she had to sleep in a cold barn. She would, she was, uh, uh, cause she stayed with her auntie and uh, she would have to do the chores for everybody. And uh, every once in a while, and she, my mom hardly, she, she hardly talks about this very much at all. But every once in a while, we'll sit down, we'll talk, and, and, and these little snippets will start to come out of my mom's heart. Little piece here, little piece here. As a kid, she never said anything about that. She never said anything about it. But as we got older, I think maybe she felt, okay, well, you know, you guys can handle some of this or however it is. But even though that happened years ago in my mother's life, years ago, as she talks about it, she has to work through it. She's praying through it. She's forgiven. But just because it happened a long time ago does not mean it still doesn't affect. Is there something or could there be something? That happened in your life a long time ago, a year ago, two years ago, maybe a decade, that you have still have not forgiven yourself for? Here's another one. It's hard to forgive ourselves because we feel I'm not worthy to be forgiven. I'm unworthy. How can I, how can I forgive myself when I'm so unworthy? Friend, we are all unworthy. It's only God's goodness. It's only God's grace. It's only God's love for us. Then the last one is this. I've done the same thing over and over and over. How can I forgive myself when I keep doing the same thing over and over? If you've ever worked with people or experienced someone that's maybe addicted to drugs or has some kind of addiction, and uh, after a while, they're not just fighting the addiction, but they're fighting all the other things that are associated with that addiction, their self-worth, their value, and so forth. So it's hard to forgive ourselves, but the good news is we can. And even better news, some of us today will, and you'll find the freedom, and you'll find the grace that God wants to give you. Now, last week I talked, we talked about forgiving, our, forgiving others, and we talked about the slide of unforgiveness. So it's the same way. When we don't, when we don't forgive ourselves, we go down that same slide. I remember when I was a kid, uh, we used to go to Peninsula Park, and they had a couple of slides over there, and we used to love to go down the slide. And you know, you try to cut in front of somebody, you go down, and then fast you can, you run back around and try to get in front of somebody to go down the slide again. That was fun, but the slide of unforgiveness is not fun. It's not fun, and it's a slide that you or I don't want to be on. So when we don't forgive ourselves, the first thing that happens is we harbor the unforgiveness. We 
we don't open up our hearts. We, we, we fail to allow God's love and grace to be appropriate in our hearts the way that God would desire for it to be appropriated within our own souls. Sometimes we become anger and hostile toward ourselves. Have you ever seen anybody mad at themselves? You know, they just, they're like, they're, they, they're their own private chimney. They just smoke and smoke and smoke. It's like, what are you smoking for? Ain't no wood in there. There's wood there. You can't see it, but there's wood in there. I'm mad. I'm mad at myself. I'm angry at myself. Bitterness, sharp negative feelings towards yourself. He's like, man, I just, oh, you know, it's not quite the hatred, but it's like, you know, I just, I, 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 I don't really like who I am. Slander. That's when the poison of how you feel about yourself reaches your own tongue. So you may say stuff like, man, I'm so stupid. I can't believe I did this. I'm an idiot. What is wrong with me? Something's not, something's wrong with me, et cetera, et cetera. Resentment. You know that you have that deep, cynical attitude toward yourself. You know, the thing about resentment, you know, when it's against somebody else, you can, you can run and get away from it. But when it's resentment toward yourself, you can't escape it. So if you go to Alaska, guess what's going with you? Your resentment. If you go to Canada, guess what's going with you? Your resentment. You can't run away from it. You can't escape it. It's there. You can't, we, you, we can't escape ourselves. Sometimes we say, well, let me, uh, let me try to numb the pain and anesthetize myself. But even whatever kind of Novocaine or painkiller a person may use, eventually that's going to wear off as well, too. Because the issue, the thing in the heart has to be dealt with. Hatred. You go down, the slide, go down that slide, you feel inferior, unlovable, and so forth. Power, it's like your powers to change. And then the last one is the vengeance, self-punishment. You sabotage your life. Oh, nothing, something if great, something great's happening in your life. Oh man, this shouldn't be happening to me. I've got to sabotage this thing and blow it up. You ever seen anybody like that? Good things happen, they just blow it up. They just sabotage the good things that are taking place inside of their life. And see, God doesn't want you to go down that slide. You know, sometimes you can look at yourself in the mirror, you know, and, 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 and you, you look at yourself, you're like, oh, I just don't like what I'm seeing. You know, God doesn't want us to be like, you know, narcissists, you know, the guy that looks in the ref, looked into the, uh, the river and fell in love with his own, uh, own reflection. Oh, I'm so beautiful. I'm so lovely. He fell in love with himself. But God wants us to have a healthy view of, of what he's made us, what he's called us to be. You and I are made in the image of God. My mom, when she used to work at Boise, at Boise Elementary School, she had like a little poster on her in her uh, office. And it was this little baby that had a diaper on. He was kind of sagging, you know, the, the diaper was sagging. And he had like a little alfalfa sprout on the top of his head, one tooth in his mouth. And under the bottom of the caption of the picture, it said this, God don't make no junk. And for every one of us here, you know, you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. You are something that's just thrown together and slopped together. 
You are a person, your life has been intricately thought about, formed and shaped by God Almighty. You're not just this bleep or this this accidental mark on the planet. No, God made you, God formed you, God shaped you. Even like God told Jeremiah, he said, look, homie, Before I formed you in the belly, I fashioned you and shaped you in your mother's womb. Jeremiah, I knew you before you even came into existence. And so we think about our lives and the welfare of our lives and our hearts and our souls. We have to understand that an almighty loving God has artistically fashioned and created our lives to be something wonderful. Lives not to go down this slippery slide of unforgiveness, but lives to stand on solid ground whereby the grace of God affirms us, whereby the grace of God uh, forgives us, whereby the grace of God makes us accepted in the heart of the beloved. Can I get an amen? But it's amazing how unforgiveness is just as, is, is, is such a cold-blooded robber, a thief, a thief that wants to steal the beauty that God has for our lives. In Genesis chapter 50, um, there's a story about Joseph and his brothers after their father had passed away. And so the Bible says in verse 15, when the brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what we are to say to Joseph. If you forgive, if you forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed against you, treat you so badly, now please forgive the sins of your servants of the God of your father. And when, their bro- and when their brothers came and threw themselves down before him, they said, we're your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I'm in the place of God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And he reassured, he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph had forgiven his brothers a long time ago. He brought them back to Egypt to live with them. He provided for their families. He loved his brothers. He loved his, he, he loved his family. There was nothing in Joseph's mind or heart to do any ill will or, or to behave with any malice toward his brothers. But his brothers could not forgive themselves for what they had done. They sold, when he was 17 years old, they sold him to slaves, threw him in a pit, and, and uh, were the source of many hardships for, jo- hardships for Joseph's life. But Joseph had forgiven them, but they could not forgive themselves, even though they had already been forgiven by the one that they offended. Uh, Dr. Wilkerson in the book, we, we talk about two men. Uh, both had the same problem. They were both businessmen. And uh, they both lost money. So one of the men, Dr. Wilson, said that he had lunch with uh, this guy at this conference. 
And the man said, I need to talk with you because I'm, I'm, I'm very distressed. About a year or so ago, I lost a lot of money uh, just to some investments that went the wrong way. Well, the guy had invested the money wisely and properly, but the market changed and he had no control over what he lost. He lost uh, lots of money. And he was, he was just discouraged, distraught, and he was beating himself up for that loss. He said, my intention was with this money that I was going to make, I wanted to do something to uh, move the king, to bless the kingdom of God. Well, uh, after they talked for a while, Dr. Wilson says that uh, he asked the man, well, do you believe God has forgiven you? He says, oh, yeah, I know God's forgiven me. He says, but I just can't forgive myself. He says, my wife has been telling me for months that I need to let this go and just forgive myself and move on. And basically, Dr. Wilson said, that's what you should do. You know, it's amazing how our wives sometimes, fellas, can tell us stuff and we don't hear what they're saying. And then somebody else comes and tells us, oh, that's a great idea. Listen to your wife. And so the guy forgave himself and he moved on. Fast forward a little bit. He gets another call when he's at home from this other guy. Same situation, except he, had, he didn't lose as much money. He said when the guy called him, he could hear the panic and the, the, the distress in his voice. And the man says to him, I lost a lot of money, my house, everything is going to be gone, da 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 He gave the same counsel, same scriptures, same prayer to this man that he gave the other man. A couple weeks later, this man took his life because he couldn't forgive himself. Now, most will say, hey, we're not going to go that extreme. But, you know, it may not be a, a, a sudden death, but how many things do we kill? How many things do we uh, uh, refuse to allow ourselves to experience that God has that's good because we don't forgive ourselves? How many roses would, would emit a wonderful fragrance and God puts them right under our nose, but we dare not try to smell that wonderful aroma because how dare me try to enjoy a little beauty for the ugliness I've caused? Last week, we went through a piece where we talked about how we forgive, steps to forgive. And today we want to do the same thing. We forgive others. We talked about opening our heart, extending compassion, releasing the person from the prison, forgiving the person for each wound, blessing and seeking to do good to those who have wounded us. But today we put the shoe on our own feet and we want to open our hearts. We want to extend compassion Release, the per- release ourselves from prison, forgive ourselves for each wound, and bless and seek to do good to ourselves for the sake of Christ. Remember Peter? Peter sinned against Jesus grievously, denied him three times, totally distraught. You can tell he was destroyed emotionally, he phys- uh, uh, spiritually, it affected him physically. The Bible says when he realized what he did, he went outside and he, and he wept bitterly. You're talking about Peter, a hardcore fisherman, that he went outside and he wept bitterly, uncontrollably, because he had failed Jesus. And just hours ago, days ago, he said, I will never let you down. I'm willing to die with you. But he failed. Later on in the Gospel of John, we see after the resurrection, Jesus restores Peter. Peter, you love me, feed my sheep. Peter, you love me, feed my lambs. Peter, you love me, feed my sheep. He brought Peter to a place of restoration. And then Peter had to let that go. Can you imagine if Peter lived his whole life saying, you know, I felt the Lord, I felt the Lord, I felt the Lord. 
He got over that, didn't he? Now, he had some other issues he had to work out, but he got over that one. And God restores us, but sometimes we have to let that pain go and we have to forgive ourselves so we can move on with God. Maybe somebody here today is stuck. Maybe, maybe you've been stuck a long time. Maybe even today what I've been talking about makes you feel really uncomfortable. But you know what the beauty of, beauty of that uncomfortability is? Is that it creates just enough dissonance to be a catalyst for change and forgiveness. So if you're here today, uh, just want to lead you through this little process, just like we did last week, except this time it's for you. If you're here today and you say, Mark, I need to forgive myself. As you've been talking, the Holy Spirit has brought some things to my heart and my mind that I need to forgive myself for. I'm going to ask you just to stand and we're going to go through a little process together. Life throws a lot of twists. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe some kind of abuse. Maybe it's a failed business. Maybe it's how you treat your kids. Maybe it's how you treat your parents. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's between you and God. God knows you know. Just take a couple more seconds. And if God's spirit is churning your heart saying I want you to forgive just stand up you're going to walk through that forgiveness and find the peace that God wants you to have we're all family here today so there's no shame there's no embarrassment we all know how, the, we all know how life is just want to wait a couple more seconds Anybody else? Carried that burden for a long time, my friend. Long time. Too long. Too long. Caused cause a lot of pain and discomfort in your life. But today, the Lord wants to help you. He wants to move that heavy stone that you've lived with in your heart. He wants to move it out. Okay? Anybody else before we start? Okay. So the first thing you want to do is you want to open your heart to extend, your own, to extend forgiveness to yourself. How can I do that? How can you do that? By just making a simple declaration in your own heart and mind. God, I am willing today. I'm willing today to forgive myself for the sin, for the mistake I've made. I know that you've forgiven me. But today, I'm going to forgive myself because I know it's what you want me to do. 
So just open your heart. Open your heart to the Lord. Next, extend compassion to your own soul. God extends compassion to you. You extend compassion to others. Be compassionate toward your own soul. Give yourself a break. Don't be so hard on yourself. God's mercies toward you are renewed every day. His compassion toward you never fails. Embrace that compassion. Let the coldness, the hardness, the stone that is petrified around the heart, let it be broken off by the the warmth of the love of God. Now, walk down the steps of that dark, cold dungeon. It's wet, it's cold, it's hard to see. Reach into your pocket and pull out that rusty key that's been there for so long. See yourself walking down the corridor You reach the end of the hall, put the key into the door of that cell and turn it. Open the door and walk in. See yourself in that corner. You've been there for a long time. Spent a lot of of days there, a lot of loneliness, a lot of pain. Now release that person that you see in that corner. Tell them you, you are free. You are free to leave this prison. Take them by the hand. Lift them up. Walk them out. Now, forgive yourself for each wound. Forgive yourself for what you did. Refuse to hold on to it. God has forgiven you. God has given you mercy. God has given you grace. Now receive that and forgive yourself for that. And the last thing is this. Now pray a blessing over your own life, not for someone else, but for you. Thank the Lord for forgiving you. Thank the Lord for forgiving forgiving you the ability to forgive yourself today. Thank him for the wonderful grace he's provided for you. Ask him to make your life a blessing so that he can use you to set others free who are in chains to unforgiveness. There was a little girl who was about four years old. 
And she told her mother, she said, Mom, I, Jesus keeps coming to me and he talks to me. And she did this for a few weeks and the mother became very concerned. So what she did was she reached out to her, their bishop and said to the bishop, my daughter is saying that she sees Jesus. I'm worried about it. I don't know what to do. Could you come talk to her? So the bishop went to talk to the little girl and the little girl was so persuasive. She said, I, I see Jesus. He does. He comes and talks to me. He really does. He really does. So the bishop said to the little girl, if he comes and he talks to you, ask him this. Ask him, what did I do when I was in seminary? The little girl said, okay, I will. So a couple weeks passes by. The little girl still having these, these uh, times where she says she's seeing Jesus. The mother's still concerned. The bishop comes back over. And the first thing the bishop says to her was, did you ask Jesus what I did in, when I was in seminary. She said, I did. And the bishop kind of perked up and he said, well, what did he tell you? She said, sir, he told me that he didn't remember. He didn't remember. God forgives you today and he throws your sins, my sins, in the sea of forgetfulness. What does that do? Makes us totally, absolutely, wonderfully free. In Jesus' name, God bless you. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www amargodaycommunity.com Thanks a lot for listening.